And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, by all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine revolution radio where information never sleeps you called down the thunder well now you've got it you tell them i'm coming and hell's coming with me you hear hell's coming with me revolution radio Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B, and best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though, so check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Another smooth entrance into Nightlight. So, hello and welcome, everybody. I hope we're on the air, right, Deb? You are. Okay. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we all call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. We have as a, we have, we have as a guest tonight um, a very special author that, that I have had the privilege of interviewing a number of times. I always learn from him, and he always challenges me to stretch and learn even further. 
he's going to guide us through two of his books on the mysteries that are hidden within them. And he's going to tantalize us with a little bit of excerpts from those that are yet to come. He's written two books that I have enjoyed and and, uh, read, and one of them I've reread a couple of times. His first book was The Royal Arch of Enoch, and that was The Impact of Masonic Ritual Philosophy and Symbolism. Um, It was a fascinating book on documents and undiscovered historical anomaly and how a high-degree Masonic ritual developed in France in the mid-1700s included elements of the Book of Enoch, which was considered lost until Freemason and traveler James Bruce returned to Europe with copies of it from Ethiopia in 1773. The book that I have swallowed a number of times is Cinema Symbolism, and it's a guide to esoteric imagery in popular movies, and it answers questions um, that that are just amazing. It's about the occult, numerological, astrological, mythological, alchemical, alchemical, tarot, and cabalistic iconographic, iconography. It's it's an amazing book. Um, He's written, I understand he's either working on or has finished Symbolism 2, and that covers even more movies and and a novel that that is um, fascinating as well, and quite possibly a third book. Um, it would be a second one on Masonry, entitled Freemasonry and the Path to Babylon. Not sure about that one, but he's changed the way that I look at movies tremendously. He's made me more and more aware of how um, there are subtleties that that affect us on a subconscious level that that we don't even realize are there. And people who do movies and write books are very well aware of the, the impact that these um, archetypes that they weave into their stories trigger within us a memory and an understanding of where the story's going. going. And it, it really did improve the way I looked at movies, took away some of the fun here and there, but it did, it did change the way I look at movies forever. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? It's uh, great to be back. It's great to be back on the radio, and it's certainly great to be back on uh, Nightlight with you. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's uh, a pleasure to be here, and um, yeah, thank you for that tremendous introduction. It's wonderful to be back. Uh, it's been, been, I've been on a bit of a radio hiatus, and uh, yeah, we can certainly talk about that. Um, I know we were talking about it briefly yesterday, but uh, mm-hmm. thank, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. Well, you always bring new insight into a lot of different aspects of of the en- the world of entertainment, and not every not every movie falls into the same categories. But but some of the the major ones that that I have enjoyed through time, and happily, as I was reading your book, it was like I saw that one, I saw that one, I saw that one, and and it was kind of like wait a minute, there is another level of insight, of information, of wisdom that that is in the movies that, that absolutely makes the experience so much richer knowing that they're there. So, so my question is, how did you get to this point in time where you were recognizing these ar- archetypes and, and, and dug into them? Right, sure. Um... It was really for me when when um, when I was really doing Royal Arch of Enoch, which was my first book, you know, just really uncovering a lot of the. I, I guess it really goes back to when I sort of joined the Masonic Lodge, which has now been twenty years. It's hard to believe, but when you go through that process, you're kind of, at least 
for me at any rate, you're kind of taught to look at the world symbol symbolically. Um, and, and, and symbols are very important within Freemasonry. So when I was writing Royal Arch of Enoch and applying all this knowledge that, you know, you know, you, you get in the lodge, but then you read the works of people like Manly P. Hall, Albert Pike, Albert Mackey, it, de it definitely sort of trains your mind to look for this and, you know, look for it not only, but, but look for it in the correct contextual meaning. Um, and, and really, when I was doing Royal Arch of Enoch and when I was writing it, um, you know, applying symbolism is critical. I mean, it's 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 really what the whole book is about, for for lack of a better word. And as I was, you know, writing Royal Arch, and I would say this started probably around the mid two thousands, probably somewhere around two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six, somewhere in that time frame. I this, this I started noticing this the same sort of iconography, the same sort of symbolism, not necessarily Masonic per se, but just you know what you mentioned at the top of the hour, dealing with archetypes and the occult and astrology and numerology and hidden meanings in, in movies and in, in, in popular films. And you know, when you start doing a modicum of research into this, you know, for example, like with the Star Wars movies, um, four, five, and six, George Lucas has said numerous um, times that um, the, um, you know, that these were based in part on the Joseph Campbell monomyth, uh, which is really critical um, to understanding um, you know, a, a, a lot of, you know, the hero's journey, this really turns up a lot in movies. Um, and, 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 and just doing that. And, and when I was writing, you know, writing cinema, or excuse me, when I was writing Royal Arch, um, I, you know, the last chapter has to do with Masonic symbolism in, in movies, you know, very hidden, hidden themes in movies. Um, you know, you know, we did national treasure. Um, that's the actual Masonic ritual of the Royal Arch of Enoch, um, on screen and, and Excalibur, which is a solar allegory. Um, and then I was able to, you know, I still wanted to talk about the subject. So that became my first, my second book, my first book on movie symbolism, which was sim cinema symbolism, my actual second book, um, where I really broke down a lot of this in, in, you know, with the matrix and the Gnostic religion that's encoded therein, um, a lot of Neoplatonic imagery and the exorcist, um, things of that nature. Um, and cinema symbolism came out originally in the summer of 14. And, and I, then I started writing Cinema Symbolism 2, which was sort of more movies that I wanted to talk about, which, you know, had this hidden, these, these, these hidden symbols, these hidden themes um, in them. But of course, you know, Cinema Symbolism couldn't go on forever. So um, as I'm sitting here speaking with you tonight, um, Cinema Symbolism 2 is actually complete. Um, it should be going, the print editions of this should be out in about two weeks or so. So yeah, Cinema Symbolism 2 is done. Um, I, I've seen the completed work. It's coming in, give or take, at around 680 pages. So it's a, another Royal Arch of Enoch length. Again, this covers, though, this does include, you know, things like the index and the bibliography and things like that. But but it is very long. It, it covers, um, you know, a, a brand new slate of movies that were talked about um, in cinema symbolism. Um, and again, this the print the print copy of this should be on the streets um, probably in about two weeks, I should say. Oh, fantastic. Because I, I did look... Um, my sister, who is into shamanism, um, saw the write-up for the show, and she said, oh, that looks fascinating. And I said, oh, I'll send you the book. And I went on Amazon to look for it, and it wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's uh, not on um, uh, the um, um, uh, Amazon yet. It's not on um, – it's, it's not out. I've seen the actual completed um, 
a version of it, but it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm editing it right now. What, you know, I'm getting back like a template of it and just going through it and looking at it and making sure everything's the way I like it. And um, yeah, I mean, it's coming out really good. It is fascinating to be your own publisher, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this is what we were talking about yesterday was, um, yeah, I mean, I, I am doing all my books uh, myself now. I, I'm uh, the, the, the company that I'm using um, now is my own company. It's called Deadwood Publishing LLC. Um, I founded this company in the late summer, um, early fall of last year, 2016. Um, I am not in business anymore. Um, for various reasons, which I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm not in business anymore with the company that I was using before. Um, and and what, that, what happened was over the summer of last year, um, I decided I was going to do this myself for various reasons. Um, my relationship, again, somewhat went, went, went south on me with, with the company I was using. Um, and, and because of that, the, the books were um, taking, taken out of print um, by me. Uh, my first two books were taken out of print by me in November of last year. They were republished by me. Um, let's see, Royal Arch was republished in, in, at the end of December of last year. Cinema Symbolism was put out about um, a month later, I want to say it around the end of, um, maybe, yeah, about the end of February. Um, Royal Arch of eBooks came out also about a month or so ago now. Um, and the, the Cinema Symbolism, my, my second book, Cinema Symbolism, A Guide to Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies. Um, the print edition is out right now. You can purchase that. The ebooks of that return um, probably in about three or four days, no later than a week. So, so they'll be out. And then, again, right behind that, Cinema Symbolism 2, more esoteric imagery in popular movies. That will be out, um, like I said, in about two weeks. The print edition should, should be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, um, with the e-books probably coming, you know, two to three weeks after that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm very excited because, uh, of course, in the first book, I recognize so many of the movies. So. With the with the second book, what other what what are the new movies you're you're going into? Oh, absolutely. Um, some of the, some of the in 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 Cinema Symbolism two, um, what 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 is different than Cinema Symbolism one is there is in Cinema Symbolism one I did sort of movies I, I did I did chapters on like entire genres of movies like horror movies for instance where I did a whole section on like like you know Dracula and the Vampire then I did Frankenstein's Monster and, and then I did the Werewolf and they, this sort of analysis covered all those movies in general um, which was good I, I wanted to do that but Cinema Symbolism two is much more movie specific um, each chapter covers. Um, a, 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 a string of movies that are related somehow, or a single movie. So some of the so some of the um, movies that we talk about, we get into some of the works of Alan Moore. Um, in 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 this in this, we I have a chapter on three of the Alan Moore movies: From Hell, Watchmen, and um, V for Vendetta. I break down um, four of the uh, four of David Lynch's movies. Um, these are very complex. Uh, David Lynch. Um, I break down Dune, um, Mulholland Drive. Uh, we get into um, Mul uh, Mulholland Drive, excuse me, um, Blue Velvet and uh, Lost Highway. Those are very complex movies. That was a lot of heavy lifting um, in those. I do all the, uh, I break down all the Harry Potter films. Um, there's some interesting things going on in those. 
Um, though, those each one of those movies, the Harry Potter films, except for the last one, which is the same movie broken in half, um, is, is a version of the monomyth. There's other hidden symbolism in them, but each one of those movies contains the monomythic um, elements, all, all but to a T. Um, it's uncanny how much those movies repeat themselves when it comes to the monomyth. Same things with the uh, Chronicle of Narnia, the, the C.S. Lewis movies. Um, this is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, and Voyage of the Dawn Trader. Um, these, these, uh, I, I, when I wrote, uh, cinema symbolism, I did the J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings movies. I promised myself that I would do the C.S. Lewis material. Um, so that's in cinema symbolism too. Um, some of the other movies, let's see. Uh, we do Walt Disney. There's a chapter on some of the Walt Disney movies. Um, Walt Disney gets an incredibly bad rap out there. A lot of this, some of this is dark material, but, a lot of this predates Walt Disney. This is coming from the fairy tales of uh, the Brothers Grimm, things like that. Um, but I do break down some of his movies, such as Escape from Witch Mountain, Return, uh, Escape to Witch Mountain, and Return from Witch Mountain, The Lion King, which is um, again is a solar allegory. That's the Egyptian, you know, Osirian myth, you know, all over again. Um, so we have a chapter on Walt Disney. Then I have a chapter on horror movies again. Some of the horror movies I break down are The Shining, uh, Suspiria. Um, uh, there's a really fascinating study um, with a movie that came out about a year and a half ago. It actually slowed the writing of the book down um, because I wanted to include it um, in, in the worst way. Um, and I, I did include it. And it's a really interesting, it, it's, a, it's a good movie anyway. Um, but there's a whole, a whole, sub -chat, a whole subtext um, of the of this movie, it, it's really a multi-layered symbolic movie. In fact, I would say to you, it's one of the um, uh, one of the most symbolic movies I've seen probably in the past three years. It's called Crimson Peak, um, which is incredibly rich with symbolism. And and there is a whole um, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's almost a movie within a movie um, of The Shining. Um, that that movie, the, the, the parallels with Crimson Peak and The Shining are so astounding. It, it would just blow you away. Um, and then, uh, then uh, let's see, what's some of the other movies I talk about? Oh, I break down um, some Western movies. Um, this is uh, probably one of my favorite genres for me um, is, is the Western. Um, so I really get into uh, movies such as The Magnificent Seven. This is the original one. I haven't seen the remake um, yet. Um, and, of course, the uh, Spaghetti Westerns of Leone. Um, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars and a Few Dollars More, which are rich with archetypal imagery. Um, the Christ figure. But let me just point out also that my publishing company, Deadwood Publishing, if you're out there listening, that actually has a double meaning. Um, of course, you know, printing, you know, a lot of people in the industry, myself included, consider books, you know, dead wood because they're paper from trees that have been chopped down. But one of my all time favorite TV shows that used to air on HBO was Deadwood. Um, so I went I went that way with it. I thought, oh, that sounds that has a nice ring to it. Deadwood Publishing. Um, and it has a double meaning of, of the print copies. And of course, it, Deadwood was one of my favorite all time TV shows. So um, we do we do a, a chapter on Western movies. Um, the Martin Scorsese Gangs of New York movie is the final chapter of the book. Um, that's very interesting as well. That has a lot of archetypal imagery in it. Um, that has an entirely um, what sort I'm looking for. Uh, subcurrent undertext of religious symbolism um, with with Bill the Butcher and the Leonardo DiCaprio character sort of being this God versus the devil conflict. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the movies that are going on in cinema symbolism, too. It, it really it took me longer to write than I probably anticipated. It, it's it's coming in, like I said, at around 680 pages. I, I have seen the the finished version of it. 
Um, and it is, I'm really pleased with the way it came out. And, and at this point in time for, you know, there's really no other way to, for to say it. I'm just anxious to release it at this point um, and get it out there. And like I said, the print copies, I, I anticipate should be out in about two weeks. I don't see it going any longer than that. Um, I mean, three at the top, you know, first week of April at the absolute longest. But, you know, this book should be out by the end of uh, end of March, I'm thinking. Well, for anybody that is at all fascinated with this this way of looking at movies, I mean, you can cut your teeth on cinema um, symbolism one. And I found that that, first of all, I had seen most of the movies you covered. So that was really cool. But then once once I had, you know, gone through your book and, and you know, could see the correlations you were drawing between the archetypes and the movies, I had to then go back and watch all the movies that I hadn't seen and and then go back and read what you had written about them because it, it, then, then it became a game. You know, am I going to catch them? Am I going to see the symbolisms that, that he talks about? And and I will admit, I had read the book through once so that when I watched the movie, I sort of knew what I was looking for, but, but I wasn't catching it all. And it, 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 it enhances the story that, that is told on the screen when you understand the archetypes that are being presented to you and how they, how the, how they create a play as well as the story behind the movie. And I, I have, um, I have I, I I truly believe that movie producers and people who write for the movies understand the archetype stuff because some some of these movies just are so close to them. And of course, the two movies that I want you to see are Interstellar and Avatar. So they, I, I hope you put them in line for Cinema Symbolism Three. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, it's funny. I, I get requested for Interstellar a lot. I still have not seen that. Avid, Avatar, I believe I probably I think I saw That's James Cameron. I believe I saw that once. But years ago, I wouldn't I wouldn't get into an analysis. It would definitely need to be rewatched. But um, yeah, a- absolutely. You, you are 100 percent correct when you say you have to watch these movies multiple times to pick up on this. Um, and and th- this is absolutely true. And I'll, I'll tell this funny story now. I've, I, I've held off telling it in the past. Um, because, um, uh, for various reasons, I wanted to keep this for myself. And this is one of my all time, you know, favorite little esoteric homages that, that, that is in a movie. And I'll share it with you for the first time. It's not in cinema symbolism one, it should have been, but it's actually in cinema symbolism two. And th- this is real, really, I mean, you, you know, when you say to me, yeah, this is intentionally placed, I, I get that. I you know, I get back, not backlash, but I get some people. Not, not often anymore, but say, oh, you know, well, maybe it's a coincidence or, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, happenstance. That's absolute nonsense. And I'll just tell the story. I mean, and this goes to show you um, the um, level to what these, these people, how, how, how their mind works on this. Um, when I was writing Cinema Symbolism, and, and let me just say again, you know, to do a really proper analysis, you have to watch these movies multiple times. I mean, it took me a viewing Crimson Peak four or five times. I have it here on Blu-ray. Um, just, just to pick up on all this stuff and, and to pick up on the subtext of The Shining that, that is going on in that film. I must have watched Crimson Peak 10 times. Um, and it was just astonishing to me. And I had to watch The Shining. And I, mean, I basically had to watch these movies all but um, side by side. But let me just tell this story real quick, because this is something that's in Cinema Symbolism 2, but should have been in Cinema Symbolism 1. I was writing Cinema Symbolism 1, and one of the uh, movies that I covered in that somewhat 
briefly, but it's in there, and I, I would pick up on this, as I promised I would in Cinema Symbolism, too, was Black Swan with Natalie Portman. This is the Darren Aronofsky movie. Um, I covered this movie in, in um, Cinema Symbolism from the angle of um, t- t- our, our archetypes, um, you know, as they, uh, as they are contained in the Tarot. Um, if you read the works of Carl Gustav Jung, the psychiatrist, he believed that tarot imagery was a reflection of the archetypes. Um, and he's right. I, I, I firmly believe that. Um, and you'll find these um, archetypes um, in, in Black Swan without question. I mean, you have the Natalie Portman character. That's the moon. You have the uh, mother character. This is the Barbara Hershey character, um, who is the uh, queen of swords. You have the, um, the, the Lily character, who is the juggler. You have the Winona Ryder character, who is the tower you know, the self-destructive uh, personality. You have the devil master ma- masculine ma- manipulator, which is Leroy. And I'm writing Cinema Symbolism, and I'm writing all this out, um, and I'm watching Black Swan again, because in Cinema Symbolism 2, this is um, a-, a movie that I revisited um, to take on this alchemical storyline that's also going on. That a- alchemy really is, this idea of transition of the self is something that it really fascinates me and, and is really a major, if you ask me one of the major themes um, of Cinema Symbolism too, it is alchemical transition in film um, of, of a character. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, uh, Cinema Symbolism's just coming out. I'll, I'll share the story. Uh, and like I said, I've never talked about this because I wanted to keep it from, to, to myself. Um, I, I'm not, to my knowledge, I'm the only person who knows about this. Um, I'm watching Cinema Symbolism, um, excuse me, I'm finishing Cinema Symbolism, the first book, and it's about to go to press, and I'm watching Black Swan, because I'm actually writing Cinema Symbolism 2 um, at this point, and I'm watching um, 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 uh, Black Swan, I'm writing Cinema Symbolism 2, I'm watching Black Swan, and there's a scene at the beginning of this um, where Natalie Portman's character is going into the ballet, um, stu- you know, you know, studio um, or, or the theater where they're producing the the, the play, and she turns and looks at a, a giant banner of the Winona Ryder character. I mean, this is just fascinating, and um, it, it, it's a picture of the Winona Ryder character, and it's just something like Fall Classics revisited, um, you know, you know, tickets on sale February twelfth. And um, for some reason, that date of February 12th just jumped off the screen at me. And I was like, what, what, I, I know this guy, Darren Aronofsky. I know, I know this can't be a coincidence. I've watched his movie too many times. Um, and this should have actually been in Cinema Symbolism. But, you know, we talk about, you know, watching these movies and you got to go back and see them because you're always missing stuff. Um, sure enough, I began researching um, the date of uh, February 12th. And of all damn things, um, that is a reference to... Um, the date of February 12th, 1888, which, or it's the late 1800s, the, the year isn't important, it's the late 19th century, um, a Russian barrel, ballerina um, was born on that date named Anna Palava. And uh, <laughs> Anna Palava um, created a ballet off of, um, off of uh, the, the Swan Lake um, production in, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, called The Dying Swan, of all things. And if you watch the movie, um, the, 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 this links her to the Winona Ryder character, who, of course, is self-destructive and is trying to kill herself. And, and the placement of the date of February 12th is actually conjuring um, Anna Palava and this play she produced, uh, this b- ballet she produced called The Dying Swan, which is a reference to um, the Winona Ryder character. Um, and if you think I'm stretching this point, I mean, this just goes to show you the length that these people will go to to hide these numbers and these little hidden clues in these movies. If you actually watch 
Black Swan and you watch the end credits roll, they actually build the characters um, according to how they appear on screen. I believe, for example, Natalie Portman is billed as Nina Sayers, the Swan Queen. And actually, when you get to Winona Ryder, when she comes up, you can watch this for yourself. You can throw it in, you know, after the interview's over. Or, you know, if anyone's listening out there, Winona Ryder is actually credited as the dying swan. Um, and this this date of February 12th is completely linking this nexus to the Winona Ryder character and this, ba- this Russian ballerina named Anna Palava. I, I've never talked about this before. The, re- the reason I bring this up, it's in Cinema Symbolism too. now. I, I can talk about this. But um, when I was when I discovered this, I was actually Cinema Symbolism was actually going to presses. And I felt like calling saying, no, 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 wait, I got to add this. I got to add this. I want to add this to the book because this should have actually gone in Cinema Symbolism part one. But um, it's in cinema symbolism too. These little this this, this date reference to Anna Palava and Black Swan, and this this just goes to show you the lengths that these movie makers um, will go to um, to encode these little clues and riddles and esoteric homages um, in their films. And, and you know that that this is the first time on radio. I haven't been on the radio now for seven and a half months. Um, I took a break um, back in August. I was on a stint for three and a half years. But now with cinema symbolism two coming out. Um, you know, I, I'm returning in full force. Um, I got your, your show was the first one. I've got another show booked next week. I'll be doing more shows in April um, to promote this. But yeah, I mean, that's something that really should have gone in cinema symbolism. So yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, p- people sometimes saying, you know, oh, maybe it's coincidence. Believe me, that is no coincidence. Um, if, if, if this whole thing falls apart. If that's the date of February 11th or February 13th, but they, that date of February 12th just forms this perfect occult nexus to Palava and the Winona Ryder character. It's it's really extraordinary. <clears throat> now, for those that, that, that you know, I jumped in because we've, we've talked quite a few times so that, um, you know, I throw archetypes out like everybody knows what they are. Um, and, and not everybody does know what the archetypes are. So um, you're- What is it? Of, yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, it explain to people that how- what these archetypes are and how they are inserted into movies and the purpose for them. Right. An an archetype is a certain type of character that embodies certain types of qualities Um, and and, and, and their their purpose. And I'm just generalizing here, just we could go on all night for this, but their qualities are, um, you know, somewhat universal. Um, you know, for example, like, you know, the, he, the the solar savior, the hero archetype, you know, the person who confronts the dark evil lord, the villain, um, you know, the trickster, that that's that's a critical one. Um, sort of, you know, the joker type, um, the wizard, the old hermit who lives by himself, who knows everything. You know, the, 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 these are what are called the archetypes. These are all part of our subconscious mind and they're inherited. Uh, if you're a fan of Carl Jung, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, if you are not a fan of Carl Jung or you're new to this, Jung, Jung hypothesized, and I, I believe him, um, I mean, although it technically can't be proven, but that's okay, um, that these archetypal images are embedded in our subconscious mind, um, and they become conscious through studying them. Um, but they're always there. If you've never heard of this, you know, they're, they're embedded there. They're, 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 it's just part of, it's, it's what's, what's part of the collective unconscious, what he, what he deems is inherited. That means it doesn't have to be taught to a person. Uh, it, it's just part of this, per, it's just part of every human being's subconscious mind. It's collective just for that exact reason, because everybody has it. Um, the Greek philosopher Plato also talked about this. Um, in fact, Jung is sort of the inheritor of it. Plato called this exact same thing the theory of forms. Um, which, which is just another way of saying the archetypes. That there were these certain f- forms and, 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 and inherited qualities 
um, you know, and, and you will find this not only in movies, but in mythology. I mean, you know, think of Perseus, um, you know, and, and, and the quests or Hercules and the quests and Luke Skywalker and his journey. It, it's all boils down to exactly the same sort of thing. So these archetypes are just these figure um, figures that are, um, you know, whether they be the hero or the villain or the mother or the trickster that are just in, in, embedded in our subconscious minds. And you will find these archetypes in just about, in, in, even in, in all movies in some form or fashion, but in really a lot of the blockbusters, you will, you will find these archetypes. I mean, they just repeat themselves. They're the exact, they're the exact same character, um, just rebranded with a new name and slightly, you know, I mean, and sometimes they don't even really um change their appearance you know look at um you know for example you know gandalf the gray in lord of the rings and you know obi-wan kenobi um in star wars and then you have albus dumbledore in the harry potter films it's the same character i mean it is the exact um same character you know the character who's the wizard the old hermit the old gray beard you want to call him um, and then back to the future you've got um doc brown it's the same character yeah yeah exactly so, so there always is a so well mostly, you know, solar the solar, whatever the 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 savior, is that always male or is it female from time to time? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, you know, when you you know you know the sun is the symbol of the masculine, but you know certainly you do have the I, I believe we talked about this maybe the last time I was on. You certainly do have the the her, hero you know the heroine figure. Um, you know, you could call her a savior archetype because she usually does battle a dark, evil lord. Um, but you could call her a lunar, you know, heroine as well. You know, the moon reflects the uh, sun's light. So you could go that path as well. It's um, I'm just parsing words. It's, it's somewhat the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. You can have the female um, uh, be, be this character. Um, I think, too, um, you know, the two that jump off the page of me when we talk about this is um, sort of Ellen Ripley in the Alien movies. You know, yes. the, the, yeah, the hero, the, the female hero who's doing, doing doing battle with the dark evil figure, the alien, um, you know, that's hiding in the shadow. Um, and then and then the other one that comes to mind, and it's probably even more so than that one, is um, and this would be more the television show than um, than than the movie. There was a movie released, but the movie kind of flopped, and it's much more known for the TV show, and that's Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Sarah oh, Michelle Geller. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know the 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 hero who is you know, battling the dark vampires, you know, and it's funny, it's funny you, you mentioned this to me because I just threw out a tweet about this about a week ago, you know, the, the Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, sort of like James Bond, I, I would describe them both as sort of these, you know, what I call, what would call a Manichaean, um, you know, what's that, um, sort of a person who sees the world in dark, in black and white terms, you know, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guy, they must be destroyed. So with, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Ellen Ripley, yeah, I would absolutely say you, you could have the, um, you know, the woman be the, the heroine figure, no doubt about it. Well, that's, you know, that, that's a little consoling because, you know, it, it, it felt for a while that all of these, so you've got the the solar savior, the trickster, the wizard, the mother. Um, is there an evil archetype, or would that be the trickster? No, the 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 usually the devil would be the um, evil archetype, um, and and this would be sort of what you would call you know your dark evil figure character, Mephistopheles. You know this would be Darth Vader, um, Sauron, um, and Lord of the Rings. This would be, of course, Voldemort. Uh, Lord Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and, and you know, it, it's just, you know, when, when you, when, you know, when you look into these movies, you know, like with Luke Skywalker being, you know, I mean, I've talked about this before being, you know, the, sort of the solar avatar, um, you know, doing battle with the Sith, the dark evil Lord. I mean, you know, it's sort of the, the, the farm boy plucked from the general populace to go on this, gen, you know, this savior quest to save the galaxy from these dark, you know, ruling archetypes, you know, the Darth Vader, the Mephistopheles figure, the emperor, same, same sort of surrogate mm -hmm. as, as it were. I mean, you turn to the Harry Potter movies or books as well. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing. Uh, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you, you have like with Luke Skywalker, you have the two um, helpers, you know, in Han Solo and Luke and Princess Leia, where you, you turn to Harry Potter, it's the, you know, the schoolboy who's awkward, who's picked from the general populace, who has the two friends, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger, you know, and is put on this messianic quest to save the wizarding world from this uh, dark evil figure, Lord Voldemort. I mean, it's you know, all but the same story. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's veiled differently. It has different names. Um, the characters are different, but you know, I, I mean, even the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, um, I mean, excuse me, the uh, one of the movies I break down, the Chronicle of Narnia stories by C.S. Lewis, um, the, the, each one of those contain these monomythic elements and, you know, the, the, you know, these same sort of, um, you know, figure types, you know, the, 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 the winter queen, you know, who wants to rule in darkness, you know, mm -hmm. and, I mean, you know, who do they, you know, I mean, my goodness gracious, I mean, who is she opposed by? You know the solar lion Aslan, um, who is of course Leo the lion. I mean, it's you know light, right. dark, you know, all over again. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's it's a, it's a really you know interesting study um, that starts with cinema symbolism and carries on in cinema symbolism too. Um, and like I said, you know, at this point in time, the book is um, you know, like I said, I've seen templates of the book. Um, I'm really happy with the way it came out. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, uh, up until now, I kind of kept it to myself. I didn't want this material out there. I sort of, you know, was selfishly holding it back. Um, but like, you know, that that nexus with uh, Palava um, and a Palava with uh, Black Swan, you know, I'm certainly open now to discussing some of the stuff in cinema symbolism, too. And, and I, I, as we spoke yesterday on the phone briefly, um, you know, I'm also... With cinema symbolism too, really wrapping up, and believe you me, thank God, um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting this out there. My third book, uh, my attention will be turned now to finishing off my first work of fiction, um, which is called A Pact with the Devil. At least that's the working title of it. Um, it'll probably stay, though. I, I kind of like that title. And uh, th th this book is probably about 50, 55 percent done. But finally, you know, I can just concentrate on this and just finish this baby off and then. My, my goal with that is hopefully to have that out. Um, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to have Pack with the Devil out by Christmas of, uh, of this year. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah Pack with All the right. Devil by Christmas. So, but okay, we'll okay. Yeah. So, so in writing this book, Which now, a Pack with the Devil. Yes. Um, in, in doing an, a, a work of fiction, yes. obviously, obviously you have – you have built into it your archetypes, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I, I believe there's elements of the monomyth in this. I, I have in this, I somewhat think of, um, so what, what I like to think of in this is sort of like anti-archetypes, um, is, is, is I believe all the characters are flawed. Uh, there, there is no, I, there, there is really no hero of this, of the story. There is just really shades of gray. And I think that makes it a little different. Um, 
But we have, um, this, this was a story, um, I believe I mentioned this in one of your previous shows, but I'll say it again. This was a story that came to me almost almost um, to the day. This was in April of around 13, so almost four years ago. This was an entire story that came to me in a dream. Um, and when I say a dream, I literally mean that. It wasn't like I was out just, you know, daydreaming or something in the backyard or whatever. I mean, it's all sound asleep. And I dreamt the story um, that is, um, that, that is, you know, was was the um, template of um, a pact with the devil. There, there's certain portions of this that I'm going to keep to myself. Um, you know, oh, until, the, you know I mean, until, until the books out, of course. But no, um, it, it's I get into some of it with you. Um, I mean, it, it's it's um, it, it deals with a uh, witch's coven. It takes place in modern times. Um, it is not. It, it does not take place in ancient history or anything. It takes place in modern day. Um, and ultimately, it, it, it involves a lot of um, conspiracy theory. The Freemasons are in it. Um, there's a murder mystery. Um, there's some erotica in it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, what I would call, it, it's almost like every character is almost like a villain in a way. I don't even know if there's really a hero of it. I, I, I guess there, there's one character who kind of jumps to mind who, who's sort of like, um, you know, there's two characters in it who I dare say are almost like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, but they're kind of like screw ups almost. Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really, I'm really pleased with, with the way it's coming out. It's different. I mean, I think it is at any rate. I can't think of no other story that's like it. And, and what, what really fascinated with me with this was, um, that I dreamt it. Um, I, you know, the, the dream was very lucid. Um, it was very clear. Um, the names were given to me. Um, the story played out. Um, and, and when I woke up that morning, I wrote, I, I wrote and made about five or six pages of copious notes, um, about it. And, and I actually, believe it or not, it, it, this was back in, let's see, April of 13. So back in April of 13, I was actually writing cinema symbolism. I actually took about a week off and just started outlining this thing and making character notes and writing it. And I wrote the author's ammunition and, uh, I, you know, I, I, I like it. It's my first work of fiction. Um, and you know, in, in the interim, what what ultimately happened with this was um, was about a year, a little over a year ago. I, I got to the point I was I was writing. Uh, Cinema symbolism came out in in fourteen in the summer of fourteen originally, and at that point when that came out, I started concentrating on a pact with the devil and Cinema symbolism too. I was writing them both at the same time. Um, th this 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 didn't work out very well. Um, well, it worked well at first, but 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 about around January of a year ago, around January of sixteen, I got to the point where I was around sixty percent done on both books. I couldn't do them anymore. It was hard, too hard to keep track of. So at that point, I kind of set put um, packed with the devil on sort of the back burner, and I really really concentrated on finishing Cinema Symbolism too. Um, what happened was, and again, I'll just get into this briefly, was Cinema Symbolism two was done um, in July of last year. Um, it was done complete. I, it was done as far as I could take it. Um, at that point in time, I was sort of planning on submitting it to the company that I was using. But as we were talking about yesterday, that never happened. My relationship with them, um, without getting too detail specific, just, just went in a different direction. And I decided to do Cinema Symbolism to myself. I copyrighted it myself. Um, that's not hard to do. I copyrighted Royal Arch of Enoch myself. Um, you know, Cinema Symbolism 2 was originally, I guess the point I'm trying to make was Cinema Symbolism 2 was originally supposed to be out by around, you know, December of last year. 
but because you know I got out of my business relationship with the company I was using, this basically backed everything up for around six or seven months. I had to republish Royal Arch of Enoch. I had to republish Cinema Symbolism. You know, this was time and effort. I had to buy computer software here for my computer to reformat these books. I had to I re-edited them to to a certain extent. Um, and you know, and, and let me just say this for the audience who's listening, because um, this is critical also. Um, if you're looking for my books, um, Royal Arch of Enoch. Um, what I did was I basically called it a second edition. Um, I retired the first edition. So anytime you see Royal Arch of Enoch or Cinema Symbolism, they are now second editions. So, I mean, don't be afraid of that. That's what you want to buy. Because um, these books were re-edited. They were um, retweaked a little bit. Some portions were added or, or revised. Um, so when you see Royal Arch of Enoch and Cinema Symbolism and you see second edition, that is me. That is the book. And the publishing company is Deadwood Publishing. So if you see that, that's me. That's the correct copy. That's the book you want to buy. But just to wrap up, yeah, um, Cinema Symbolism should have been out a couple months ago. But because I'm doing this myself, it basically like backed everything up for like six, seven months. So I can report that Cinema Symbolism 2 will be out in about two weeks. Thank God. And um, then I can really concentrate to uh, finish off a pact with the devil, which I will do everything in my power to get out by the end of the year. Wow, that's that's ambitious. That's that's amazingly ambitious, but exciting as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled with it. Um, I mean, I'm really pleased. I mean, I know you haven't seen it yet, or the audience hasn't as well. But I'm really pleased with the way I mean, I've seen the templates of uh, Cinema Symbolism Two completed. I mean, I've seen the, the finished book, and I am really pleased with the way it came out. I mean, I'm really happy with it. I'm really, I can't wait to get it out and, and start doing radio again about it. Like I said, the print copies of it's coming in, give or take it, around 680 pages. Um, the print copies of this should be out in about two weeks or so. Um, as I've been doing this also, I mean, Pack with the Devil, my first work of fiction, just hasn't gone by the wayside. I have been devoting some time on it. Um, I, it's funny when you work, work a, when you write, excuse me, when you write a work of fiction and then you let it sit and then you go back to it. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, I can really say on that I'm trimming a lot of fat out of it, I'm, I'm making it much more readable, making the story much more um, digestible. Um, there's certain portions that I'm, I'm editing out that really, you know, you, the one thing I, I've learned when you write a work of fiction is a lot of it will wind up on the uh, cutting room floor. Um, but that's OK. It, it makes it much more readable and much more digesting, much more digestible and much more entertaining, I, I believe. Amazing. Well, I think, you know, when when people see the the um, the title of your book, Cinema Symbolism, I mean, they don't understand that not only it is is it these archetypes that you you draw in and and you you in, that have been integrated into movies and and or slash books. It, it, it is the occult and numerology and astro as, astrology and mythological stuff and alchemical stuff and, and the tarot and the Kabbalah. I mean, it, it's symbols from all of these different modalities that that are just subtly put in place that that literally take you on a subconscious journey of a story that that is overlaid whatever you are seeing on the screen that that there there are other symbols that that sort of are are in many ways uh, guideposts as to this is the journey this is what's going on this is what's happening inside of them and and it 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 really enhances the story of the movie that you're watching that you don't even know it's being enhanced by that's that's what just blows me away 
Oh, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely correct, Barbara. I mean, we are not only talking about archetypes, but, you know, we are talking about numbers, numerology, the occult. Um, you know, we are talking about ancient religions, Gnosticism, no, no question about it, Kabbalah. Um, you know, we, we talked about earlier this number, this date of February 12th, I mean, which looks completely innocuous on screen, um, probably paid no attention to it. Uh, myself included. I mean, you know, it took me, this was like the sixth or seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth time I saw it before I noticed that date. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if I know Darren Aronofsky the way I think I know him, I know that date's going to have some meaning. Um, and sure enough, it has huge meaning um, in, in, the, um, in, in the movie. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, you get into Kabbalah, um, one of the movies I take on, um, and it, it's, it's you, know, you know, you get remakes of it. But one of, the, one of the movies I took on was the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movie. Um, which is the which is Kabbalah, which is um, the tree of life and its tarot uh, equivalent. Um, that entire that entire Robin Hood story um, is really a walking the Robin Hood story is like walking on the tree of life. Um, you find the different tarot, you find the different archetypal imagery. Um, you know, I, it's 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 incredible with, uh, with 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 that story. I mean, that deals with a lot of um, you know Kabbalah um, mm -hmm. and, and its its relation to. Um, uh, uh, to, to the tarot um, as well. But no, I mean, yeah, a absolutely. I mean, you know, you get into um, numbers and, you know, this is something I've talked about before with like cinema symbolism, you know, for example, like with the, with the Back to the Future movies, with the number 88, um, how that how that ties into the um, the date on the clock tower, the time of day at, at 10.04, which is October um, 4th. And that's the, you know, 88 days left to the solar year. And, you know, the, the, the chariot, the sun chariot of Apollo or Horus, being the DeLorean. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of ancient religion. Um, numbers can be used very adroitly by these filmmakers. Um, one, one of the ones um, that I liked was in the um, movie From Hell. Um, this was the Alan Moore movie. Um, and there's, there's a ton going on in that movie. Um, this was the... Uh, this this was the based on the Alan Moore comic book where um, where Jack the Ripper, who is Sir William Gull, is using Freemasonry and these Masonic rituals to essentially affect a form of alchemy. He's he's turning Masonic rituals into a form of chaos magic um, to negatively affect the 20th century. He he says so in the movie, um, and I, I I thought that there was that in the movie um, Sir William Gull, who was the Freemason, who is I don't want to give the movie away. It's been out long enough, but I guess I have to. Who's also Jack the Ripper? Pretty obvious. Uh -huh. um, but what I thought was kind of neat in this is he's really perverting Freemasonry and he's using it very darkly, you know, in this dark fashion for, for out al for these alchemical purposes. And uh, I thought it was unique. If you, if you watch the movie, um, if you watch from hell, um, Sir William Gall lives, they don't give you the street address, street address, but it doesn't matter. But the door, the number on his door is um, 74. And I thought, well, of all the numbers to pick 74, um, 74 of course is 47 backwards. Um, and, and, and 47 is, of course, a reference to Freemasonry, which is the 47th proposition of Euclid, which is, um, you know, the, the token of a worshipful master and the, denotes Masonic rulership. So I thought that was really interesting by putting 47 backwards you're on his door. Um, you're kind of denoting this backwards sort of Freemasonry, the sort of, um, degenerate form of Freemasonry that, that the Jack the Ripper character is engaging in to alchemically affect the 20th century. I, I thought that was very unique and subtle. I, I really like that. Um, but I guess you'd probably have to be a Freemason to pick up on something like that. Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, again, this, this just points out, you know, you mentioned to me, you know, the lengths these guys will go, um, to, to, to conceal this stuff. I mean, that, that's one, 
Um, the February 12th date is another one. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, where, where do you see these stuff? Um, in, in, in when you read the book, the one point, point I mean, I, I couldn't even get in with you. I'd have to pull up another page on the screen because I can't even remember them all. But when you, when you get to the, the horror movie um, chapter, um, the parallels between um, uh, The Shining and Crimson Peak is just astounding. I mean, that, that I, I guess I guess if I had to say if there's one part of the book that I, I really stands out more than all the others, um, there is this in, in in I believe it's chapter four or five. It's the chapter on horror movies. Um, one of them I, I break down The Shining. Um, well, they, yeah, let's 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 do that because most people have seen The Shining, so that they'll be able to relate and, and and sort of understand where you're coming from with all of the archetypes and everything. Right. Well, the the, the Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, has a lot going on on many levels. Um, you know, the, the, there there's the, the, uh, you know again. I'll, I'll just go over this briefly. I don't think we could. I don't think we could devote enough time to to go over The Shining, but. Um, you have this whole idea that you have, it's an alchemical movie. Um, it, it's, a, it's the shining is, is decidedly an alchemical movie. And how do you know an alchemical movie when you see one? Um, usually it's, it involves a character starting as one thing and ending up something else. Um, and it's usually something completely different than what they start out as. So you have the Jack Torrance character who starts off as sort of this kind of oddball failed writer character and winds up as this psychopath at the end. So you have this alchemical transition going on in the movie. Um, another movie, uh, probably one of the, the greatest alchemical movies of all time um, is Black Swan. That would be another one. But getting back to The Shining, when, when you're dealing with al alchemical movies, um, and this is again, something I've held back on, I haven't talked about this in, in any other interview. Um, gen generally, when you're dealing with an alchemical movie, um, what the movie movie makers like to do, and they all do this, um, and, and it, it, so they, they're all aware of this. Um, when, you, when you're dealing with alchemy, you're talking four stages of Renaissance alchemy, um, and, and they're Latin terms. Um, it's negredo, albedo, rubido, and citronatus. Um, and it stands for it's it's blackening the, the the moon, the yellow, the sun, and the rubido is the red, which is the magnum opus completed. Um, when you're dealing with an alchemical movie, these these four color schemes will show up on a film. Generally, physically, actually, you will see the color, um, or they embody a character, and usually that character is surrounded by that color. Um, and this goes without saying. It's it's a very complex study. You'll understand it more when you read the book. But in The Shining, you you will find this color scheme um, dotted throughout the entire movie, um, and 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 it's critical to understanding the alchemical transition. So, like for example, real quick, the color red um, in an alchemical movie is alchemical completion. That means the magnum opus is complete, the philosopher's stone has been perfected, and the uh, the uh, the alchemical transmutation has been complete. So, I mean, in The Shining, for example, we have the Jack Torrance character at the very end, who's a psychopath. The alchemical trans the um, alchemical transmutation is complete. So what does Kubrick do? Well, he dumps gallons of red blood, the rubido, the red down the hallways. And he does that in purpose to say the the, the torrent transition is complete. The alchemical. Okay. We, we've got a break coming up. We'll yep. be back in three minutes and we'll finish this up.
Is your data safe? Do you have the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation? Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. Over 3 gigs of survival documents and how-tos, plus the USDA offline food preservation website, and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a mega virus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records, addresses, phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us, we're already here. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons? Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a civil majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Look, you stupid bastard. You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look. It's just a flesh wound. I don't believe I've seen such a display of courage, skill, nerve, grace, and stupidity. I'll do you for that. What? Come here! What are you gonna do? Bleed on me? I'm invincible! You're a loony! The Black Knight always triumphs! Roundtable Live, Monday through Friday, 1 a.m. till 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Bring your mind, bring your ideas, bring your voice. King Arthur had nothing on us. Here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. 
You're listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. If you like what you're hearing, click over to the support page and make a donation to help us keep this amazing station up and running. Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com is totally listener supported. From the owner to the host to the producers, and we can't live without them, to the staff, all are working here because we love the work and are dedicated to putting out quality material for all of you. Be it large or small, every donation is greatly appreciated and helps us all keep on supplying information and material to educate, enlighten, and create wonder within your life that is not found elsewhere. So thank you for your support, be it little or big. Big would be great. Um, We really appreciate everything that you can do to help us give you the best of us. So, Robert, we're back with, with, with red paint being thrown down the hallways. Yeah, I'm, I'm back. Can you hear me all right? Everything loud and clear? Loud and clear. Yeah, well, well, uh, it was funny, too, because uh, during the commercial break, I, just real quick, I couldn't help but listen to the one out that features the Monty Python uh, yeah. excerpts. Yeah, that's uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. And, uh, of course, if you, yeah, if you know cinema symbolism, you know, I, I break down the King Arthur, uh, or a Royal Arch of Enoch, I break down the King Arthur stuff. But anyway, The Shining, yes. Um, just back real quick, um, we have an alchemical story going on in there. But then also, um, and probably the more interesting um, portion of this is um, because Kubrick really wreaks havoc with your uh, both your conscious and your subconscious mind on this, um, is, is, is in the, you know, and I'm just condensing here because of time, but in the, the whole premise of this book is this sort of vicious um, reincarnation cycle going on inside of the inside the overlook. In fact, you, you really never really figure out um, what's going on. You know, I mean, you can watch this movie a hundred times and you really never know. I mean, it, it's it ends with this epistemological conundrum where, you know, where there's, you get shown the photo at the end and, you know, you don't know who this is. I mean, is this Delbert Grady? Is this Charles Grady? I mean, it's obviously some sort of reincarnation going one um but you're you're never really fully informed as to, to who this character is in the in the photo um you know and, and and you know it ties into with uh you know when jack nicholson is talking to the, the 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 guy you know i think it's delbert grady in the in the men's room you know well if that's delbert grady then who's the guy on the photo at the end so you had this really vicious um reincarnation cycle going on inside the overlook hotel um, and, and the way Kubrick um, bombards your mind with this is to repetition. Um, he repeats things over and over again um, to, to, to sort of symbolize this never ending, you know, Ouroboros um, going on inside the Overlook Hotel. In fact, um, I'll share this with you in, in Cinema Symbolism 2, um, the portion that I break down The Shining, I actually call it a transcendental repetition inside the Overlook Hotel or transcendental repetition and the Overlook Hotel, I believe is what I called it. Um, and he, he does this by just presenting um, a series of numbers um, and imagery on the film, which is all, all doubles. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. It's, it's just endless doubles. I mean, it goes everywhere from the two little girls. Um, and then, of course, you know, there, there's the scene in it where um, where, where Allman is, um, I mean, you have the two mazes in the film, the indoor maze, um, which is, you know, the, the, the dark corridors of the hotel. And then you have the natural outdoor maze. Um, so you have two mazes in the movie. Um, there are two African-Americans in the movie. 
Um, he, you know, you know, uh, uh, the Scatman Crothers character and um, Durkin, uh, the guy who runs the uh, auto mechanic shop. There's two African-Americans. There's the scene where Allman is showing the Torrance's um, their uh, their 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 digs, their 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 apartment in the Overlook. And, and Allman is walking by and he says, have a what do you say? Have a great winter, girls. And it's two twins walking by. Um, and it's right after tw- uh, uh, Kubrick has just shown you the twin little girls. Um, so, the, the, you know, and, and again, it's, it's numbers um, that, that repeat the tie into the number 237, the number 47 that repeats. Um, I'd have to actually pull the document up here. But but the, the shining Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is just a temple of repetition. And, and the reason he does that is um, to to just bombard your both your conscious and your subconscious mind of um of, of this vicious rein, reincarnation cycle going on inside the overlook. In fact, there, there's points in it. I mean, you know, it's, it's the characters even say lines back to each other. The, 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 the two, the two ghosts of the twin little girls say something to Danny, something we could, you know, stay here, play with us forever and ever. Then a few minutes later, Jack Torrance says that to his son when they're sitting on the bed, he says, I could stay here in this hotel forever and ever. So they repeat lines back to each other. Um, and, and, and Wendy Torrance, uh, Shelley Duvall does the same trick, um, with, with, with the sun when they're going about to go into the hedge maze for the first time. Um, so you have a ton of repetition going on inside the shining. And then this was something I talked about in the first book. Well, you know, I keep saying that the first, the first movie book, Cinema Symbolism, first book was Royal Arch of Enoch. Um, in Cinema uh-huh. Symbolism, you, you had this whole, um, interplay with the, um, Overlook Hotel sort of being this dark side of America constructed over the Indian nations, buried on the Indian burial ground. You know, you have it's sort it's sort of re- representing this dark, opulent side of the United States. I mean, and, and, you know, what is it? You know, you know, all the best people come here, all the politicians, all the starlets from Hollywood, all, all the Hollywood types. Um, you know, if you pay attention to this, you know, it has this incredibly racist element and misogynistic element. I mean, the domain of women and blacks are the kitchen um, in, in the Overlook. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great movie anyway, but, um, you have this whole idea of the dark side of America going on inside the overlook. It's a great film study. I talk about it in cinema symbolism. I talk about it briefly in cinema symbolism, but it's a movie I break down, I think pretty thoroughly inside cinema symbolism too. Well, it's, you know, I was just thinking about all of this, the, the, the fact that the archetypes are there and that, that they trigger something in us. But I would think also as an author or as someone who is writing, you have the archetypes embedded inside of you so that you will probably subliminally put them in places where you don't expect you're putting them without knowing that you're doing it so that it's going to be interesting once your book is done to go back and take a look at it and find the symbolism in it. Yeah, well, with like a pact with the devil, there are definitely elements of the monomyth in there. Um, I could say that for certain. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's when I when I'm doing when I think of pact with the devil, um, I almost consider you know there there are movies um, where you have anti archetypes. Um, you know, where I'm trying to think of one, I, I you know um, where where it's 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 you know kind of like. What's the one movie? I'm drawing a blank on it, but I actually talk about this in the movie where it's sort of like almost anti-archetypes and and they're they're kind of fun to watch, too. Um, You know, kind of like, uh, you know, you know, I think of movies almost like, um, you know, uh, it's um, the the movie that really kind of jumps off the page with this is is, is, it was a a B movie horror film that came out 
um, in, in the 1980s. The, the, it, it was almost like a reverse breakfast club where the breakfast club, you had the archetypes, you know, the jock, the nerd, the preppy girl, you know, the loner, the outcast and the misfit. Um, and then but the, but then they did a movie a few years later. It was a horror movie. It was called Return of the Living Dead. This is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, and you had these you had these exact you had these exact characters appearing on screen, but they, they completely reverse it. Um, where in, in The Breakfast Club, if you remember The Breakfast Club, this was the John Hughes movie, the coming-of-age movie that, you know, I'm Generation X, so everyone in Generation X has seen this movie, um, where, where you had, the, they were all fighting each other, they didn't get along, you know, and, and they were, you know, the whole movie was predicated on them trying to figure each other out, and they ultimately got along, and then you had the adult character who they were all enemies with, they, they couldn't stand, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the overseer of the detention, I forget his name, um, but they were all at odds with him. They couldn't stand him at all. Um, and, and the whole movie was about them just trying, trying to fit in with each other. It's The Breakfast Club. Everyone knows it. Well, it, a few years later, the, the, a horror movie came out called Return of the Living Dead. It's a long story. I won't get into it. It was a sequel to George Romero's um, Night of the Living Dead. There was actually two sequels of this movie made. One was, Night of the, one was Return of the Living Dead. One was Dawn of the Dead. It's a long story as to how these movies got made. I, I won't get into it. But... Um, Return, Return of the Living Dead has almost what I call anti-archetypes in it because the, the same archetypes, I mentioned this as cinema symbolism, the same archetypes that are in um, Breakfast Club, sort of, you know, like, you know, the, the, the weirdo, you know, the, the preppy girl, um, so, so, sort of the cool guy, the jock, the jock character. Um, they're all hanging out together. They're all best friends. They're not at each other's. Uh, they're not at odds at all. They all hang out together. I'm look watching this. I'm like, God, this is kind of crazy. I mean, you know, usually these these characters break off and form cliques. They, you know, they stay to their own. In Return of the Living Dead, they're all together. They're all hanging out together. Um, and not only that, what what they actually do that makes it even more interesting is they actually work with the adults to problem solve. I mean, the adults in the movie are not their enemy. They actually become friends with them. So it's sort of this anti-archetypal imagery. Um, and that, that can make for interesting movies, too. Um, and, and, and like I said, with A Pack with the Devil, I mean, I guess, you know, you, you're definitely going to have some archetypes in there. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. You know, you do have, um, you know, sort of, you know, you know, some dark figures going on in it. Um, there's probably more dark figures in it than there are heroic figures. Um, but, but I, you know, like I said, I, I like the story as it's turning out. Like I said, it was a dream. Um, and I'll mention this in passing. I think I mentioned this on one of your other shows when I was on. Um, the, 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 the pact with the devil story came to me entirely in a dream. Um, when I was sleeping, like I said, I woke up the next morning and, and began outlining it. Um, but of course in doing this and, you know, you know, the dream occurred, I think in April of 13. So I believe it's been almost four years now. Um, I, I immediately began, well, not immediately, I began researching to see if anyone else had had anything like this. And sure enough, I found out that, um, Mary Shelley actually drank Frankenstein and that uh, Robert Louis Stevenson dreamt Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that H.P. Lovecraft actually dreamt some of the mythology around the Necronomicon, you know, in Miskatonic University. So, um, you know, I was pleased to find that out. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen with this story. I know you've told me before um, when I've done shows that, you know, when something like this usually happens, you're meant to do it in this in this world, you know perhaps planted in your mind from a higher power or a higher consciousness. I really have no reason to argue with you on that. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm just really pleased right now that in a couple of weeks I can get my third book out, Cinema Symbolism 2. And then I'll be working on my first work of fiction. I'll be really working hard to get that out before Christmas. And then, as you said, at the top of the hour or at the top of the last hour, 
um, you know, Cinema Symbolism 3. I've already got movies in mind for that. And uh, Freemasonry and the Path of Babylon, that, that's also being outlined. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I just had a curiosity because the very first time that I interviewed you, I always make it a point to make sure I have read all the books that the person has published, unless, of course, it's somebody like Stephen King and then forget it. Right. But so so I had I had tried to read The Arch of, of Enoch and found that I didn't have enough um, background in Freemasonry. So then I had to put myself to school to a certain degree to understand Freemasonry better. And when I finally did read it, um, after I had learned a little bit about Freemasonry, you know, there's an arrogance here of, of being a certain age thinking, I can figure this out. Well, though, I couldn't. So um, <laughs> I had a bit of research to do. But um, but it taught me a lot. And I'm really grateful to you for that, because it really did drive me crazy that I couldn't get a hook into the material until I knew a little bit more about Freemasonry. So what will the, the, the road to Babylon um, entail? Right, that's a good question. Um, what, what I'm anticipating with, with Freemasonry and the Path of Babylon is, I, I believe this will sort of fill in some of the gaps with Royal Arch of Enoch. Um, you know, we're going to get more into people like Thomas Smith Webb, um, who is really critical to this, DeWitt Clinton. There's going to be more material on that. Of course, some of the symbolism, um, you know, regarding Freemasonry. Of course, I, I have to write about that. Um, really, right now, it looks more like um, a series of essays that I'm trying to tie together is really the best way I can describe it. Um, I, I have started writing it. I mean, I, I have portions of it done. Um, and, you know, it's it's really more at this point, at this point in time, I mean, that's, you know, it's, 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 it, that's probably a couple of years away still. Um, I, I haven't made up my mind yet. After I get packed with the devil out, um, like I said, which I'm really going to do everything in my power to do, try to get it out by the end of this year. I mean, it, it's just time. It's just time. Um, uh, Barbara, it's, it's, you know, like for example, with, um, with, with, um, with, with cinema symbolism too, um, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's a it's a process. It's really a process you have to go through. So, like for example, um, when I, when I was getting Cinema Symbolism two ready to, to be published, um, I copyrighted it, and this is when I decided to do this myself. When you know, when I you know wasn't going to was going to do this myself, um, I, I copyrighted it um, around middle of September of last year. Which again, copywriting is easy. You just upload it to the you know copyright office at the Library of Congress. I had actually copyrighted Royal Arch of Enoch, but at any rate. Um, so I had to go through this process myself. And at that point, I needed to find an, an editor. Um, and I found an editor um, through a friend of mine here in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, the book is done. But, you know, I had to give her um, two and a half months to edit it. You know, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I mean, it's a 700 page book. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I can't say, you know, get this back to me in a week. Um, you know, uh, you know, I guess I could. I'd have to pay a fortune for it. Um, but I, I gave her, I, you know, I, I gave her two and a half months. So, I mean, at that point in time, now, as it worked out for me, it worked out good because at that point I, I, I talked to her, um, I, I talked to, 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 to the editor. I mean, it's no secret. Her name's in the book. Her name's Wendy Tucker. Um, I talked to Wendy and, and, and she said, yeah, I, I want to edit it. I'm, I'm really interested in this. And I said, that's great. I sent it to, I sent it to her to the, uh, at, the, at the first week of October. And I said, just get it back to me mid-December around Christmas. She said, that's great. No problem. She did it. She did, of course. And, and it was actually worked out to my benefit because at that point, then I could really concentrate on reformatting and re-editing to a degree Royal Arch of Enoch and Cinema Symbolism. 
um, which I did. Um, I, 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 I thought, okay, this is good. Cinema Symbolism 2's away. That's being edited. Let me concentrate now on getting Royal Arch of Enoch and Cinema Symbolism, you know, you know, for my own launch on this. I got him as far as I could. I had to hire a graphic designer. I hired someone here in Baltimore as well to, to help me with this, with graphic design, you know, for the images and things like that. And um, I, I and make a long story short, I ended my business relationship with the company I was using in mid-November of last year. And um, I, I tried as hard as I could to get these books back out by um, by Christmas, Royal Arch of Enoch and Cinema Symbolism, that is. I, I, the company that I was using, I said, take everything down. This was orchestrated by me. I got some emails on this saying, hey, what happened to your books? Um, uh, you know, all the Kindles, all the eBooks were taken down, all the print copies were removed. Um, and I eventually republished Royal Arch of Enoch at the end of December. Um, and it's second edition now, and, and it's Deadwood Publishing. And the ebook of that is out. Um, that's been fully restored. Um, the print copies are now all over the place. They're in more places than they were before. They're now in places like Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. You can buy them if you live in Europe. You can get them at places like Blackwells and Waterstones. Um, and the ebooks, likewise, are all back. They're in the Apple Eye bookstores. Uh, this is Royal Arch of Enoch, you know, the Kindle, the Nook. Um, Cinema Symbolism, likewise, the paperback is out. You can get this, like I said, in Blackwell's, Waterstones, Barnes & Noble. The ebook of Cinema Symbolism should be out in about five to seven days. And like I said, you know, not to beat a dead horse, Cinema Symbolism 2, um, I can prop announce will be out in about two weeks or so. Fantastic. That's exciting. So at some point in time, you're going to have to take a deep breath. But... Um, it, it just feels to me as though, you know, you've, you've really poured a tremendous amount of energy. I, I have to tell you that, that the, the material you put out there does wake people up to a greater understanding of, of what goes on inside of, inside of us as we read books or watch movies. And, you know, I, I, I will also reiterate that, that the understanding that, that the Arch of Enoch gives a lot of people as to as to Freemasonry and what goes into it. I, I have a far greater respect for Freemasonry than ever before. Um, having having done the research and then going back into the Arch of Enoch because it it does open us up to a better understanding of and and you know you you have said you, you you didn't agree with me at once, and then you started to a little bit. That that the Freemasonry is a spiritual journey into yourself. Oh and, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. No, I agree with you there. And and I never understood that. You know, as to me, Freemasonry was you know a bunch of guys getting together, and then 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 when you realized you know how it was put together and the purpose to it, and and the fact that. Um, you know, religion and politics aren't really discussed there, and and it is it is a a school of self discovery, for want of a better word. Oh, and yeah, I agree with you there. So, so anybody that uh, you know is is involved in Freemasonry, I mean, the first three levels are are the Blue Lodge, and and most people do that. It's it's when when you you go into the other different levels that you start to get amazing spiritual information and of course the arch of Enoch of course I I could relate to because I knew about Hiram Abiff so you know it was kind of like okay he's finally hitting places where I can I can totally relate and I understand because I know this story so 
um, it, it, it was it, it was an exciting adventure for me to to go back and read that book again with a background in a slight a slight background. I won't say that I you know have a PhD in it by any means, but but I do have a better understanding of of you know the, you gentlemen that go through this whole process that that there is a great deal to be learned and and where. Where in in a lot of your spiritual classes and groups and workshops and stuff, you have basically women. People are led to believe that men don't do any of this kind of study or this kind of journeying, and and the reality is all Freemasons do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, I agree with you. I agree with everything you said. I totally, I would not disagree in any way, shape, or form. I would say with Freemasonry, I would say the unfortunate problem is. Yeah, problem. I guess it's one of those things where you take you you get out of it what you put in it. And a lot of people just go through the rituals and think nothing of it and they just come out. And and it's really sort of a, a, a fault of a lodge system. I mean, it's 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 it, it is very spiritual and it is very religious and it's very symbolic. Um and it's very Gnostic. I think I think that's really what, what the word is. It's eye opening. It's it's meant to bring you to enlightenment of of a of a of a better selfhood. That that's the way I would best describe it. But you know, if if you you know, most people, myself included, when you go through it for the first time, you're really not aware of that. Um and you know, I mean I went through a you know, it's almost like a fraternity house ritual. I went through a fraternity house ritual uh, a few years earlier. Um, and, and, you know, as crazy as that's going to sound, they, they are actually based on Masonic rituals. In fact, most fraternity house rituals were written by Freemasons. A lot of people aren't aware of that. I was a member of, I was a brother of a fraternity house named Lambda Chi Alpha at Gettysburg College. And the guy who wrote the ritual was actually a Freemason. Um, and this is actually true for a lot of the college and even uh, female sororities as well. I mean, they, they are designed to teach morality and, you know, uh, spiritual enlightenment and things like that. But when I went through the Masonic rituals, I mean, I definitely felt they were important. And I definitely felt like, you know, I, you know, I felt the weight of them. I, I felt like, oh, this is, you know, very symbolic and very important. But it was really after I had gone through them. And I think this is the way it is for most Freemasons. I, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't put words into other people's mouths. But for me, it was really after I'd gone through them, and then finding out, you know, reading the works of, like I said, the people, you know, sort of sort of the Masons that I've really relied on um, in crafting the Royal Arch of Enoch, people like Manly P. Hall, uh, people like Albert Mackey, people like Albert Pike. Um, th these were really sort of the people that I looked up to um, when it came to Masonic philosophy and Masonic symbolism. I mean, in fact, I don't know if I've said this on your show or not. I, I might have. Um, the Royal Arch of Enoch was actually modeled after Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. Um, I actually modeled the Royal Arch of Enoch after his book um, as an homage, you know, as an homage to Manly P. Hall. Well, um, and, and that book is a book that should be in everybody's library, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. I, I know no question about it. I mean, I mean, that book is, I mean, if, if you ask me probably to name off, you know, the top five books that I've ever read in my life, that would be in the top five without question. Um, and, and like I said, it, it, to, to, to honor Manly P. Hall, I actually moder modeled uh, the Royal Arch of Enoch after um, the secret teachings of all ages. Um, and that book, you know, like you said, just had a tremendous influence on me, as did Albert Pike's uh, Morals and Dogma. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of people aren't aware of this. But um, as crazy as this is going to sound, um, the two people, two of the people that Manly P. Hall actually admired really very much was Albert Pike and uh, Madame Blavatsky. Um, and it, it's always been said that he modeled his books after theirs. So I modeled my book after his. But if certainly, you know, Albert Pike's Morals and Dogma. I mean, if you, if you read if you read 
um, Manly P. Hall's secret teachings of all ages, especially when he gets into Freemasonry and Masonic symbolism, uh, you, you will find um, Albert Pike's uh, Morals and Dogma, the fingerprints all, all over that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and when I was doing Royal Arch of Enoch, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's definitely spiritual. And, you know, you get into biblical figures and the teachings of Enoch and and Hiram Abiff and, and the lost word and, you know, how it ties into divinity. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I believe it is. It is very spiritual. Um, and just, you know, I'll, I'll just end it on this uh, with, with Royal Arch. So I guess one of the, you know, you talk about, you know, you asked me earlier about trying to, you know, implant things in your books and do this. I guess one of the things I was really trying to do, I think I did it. Um, with Royal Arch of Enoch was I really wanted to write a book. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's as long as it is. That was sort of like, uh, how can I say it was, I wanted to write a book. If, if you had to read one book on Freemasonry, this was going to be the book that sort of, you know, got into everything. Um, uh -huh. I got into the Blue Lodge. I got into the symbolism. I got into the history. Um, I got into the influence. I mean, does it cover everything? No, of course not. You, you, you can't. I mean, do I, do I talk about Freemasonry and its role in the American Civil War? No, not really. I mean, you know, you just can't cover every possible subject. But I, I really felt as though when it came to Masonic symbolism, and I guess that's why I called it the impact of Masonic ritual, philosophy, and symbolism, I think on those three subtopics, ritual, philosophy, and symbolism, Royal Arch of Enoch, you know, when it comes to the high degrees and Blue Lodge, you know, that, that, that my, I really wanted to make my book sort of the premier book to turn to um, for that, you know, and time will only tell if I succeeded or not. But I will say that, I'm, I, you know, for me personally, I'm really happy with the way it came out. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that I was able to do this in my life. And, um, you know, with, with all my books, um, pretty much, um, you know, the, the reaction has been very positive. I mean, there's some naysayers out there, of course. Um, that comes with the territory, you know, and, and I, sure. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I knew that when I was getting involved with it, you can't make everybody happy. Um, and, and there, there, there are people out there, you know, and I don't have to tell you this, who will just dump on it just for the sake of dumping on it. Um, you know, and that's fine. You know, I mean, I, I understand that and, and I expected it to be honest with you, but I mean, I, I'm really pleased with the way, um, the first three books came out. And, uh, like I said, um, you know, I'm gearing up for cinema symbolism too. Um, and when that comes out in full force, you know, we'll definitely reschedule and, uh, uh, love to come on over the come in, come on over the summer, and we'll 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 talk exclusively about that, and do another update on Pack with the Devil. And uh, like I said, you know, you, you asked me about cinema. You know, as far as I'm concerned, right now, you know, we got a half an hour left. You can ask me about any one of my books. Um, you know, we can go back into Royal Arts and Symbolism. One one of the things I'll just end it on this real quick was I started doing radio. I may have mentioned this to you yesterday. I started doing radio in January of 2013, and I basically did it for three and a half years straight. I mean, I was doing at least two or three shows a month. So when August, when August of last year rolled around, I'd really done it. I, I'd done every show that was out there. I had done some of them two or three <laughs> times. Yeah, I, mean, I really. And uh, so, I mean, it was nice to take that break. I was off for, for, for seven months. I was originally planning to take it for about two to three months. Like I said, my initial plan was to have Cinema Symbolism 2 out before Christmas. That didn't happen, of course. But no, um, now that Cinema Symbolism 2 is two weeks away, um, I've got another show booked next week and, um, you know, I'll be promoting that soon. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, starting, starting this week and next week, I'm going to be uh, booking shows for April as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm returning in full force as it were. Well, I, you know, you, your stuff is fascinating and, and there are so many different levels to all of it that, that, um, it, it, you know, you never reach, you never reach a point where, well, I've heard it all from him because you, cause you yeah. can't. Yeah, but it was it was for me, yeah it was for me it was like um 
you know, when, when I had done, when I, when I started doing the, when I started doing this radio in, in 2013 and I had taken it all the way around to, um, August of, you know, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, it's, you know, you know, I'd taken this around to August of, let's see, 16. So we are talking three and a half years. I, I remember sitting there, I had done like two, two radio shows and these were the last two I had done. And it was like, you know, how many times can I break down the wizard of Oz? You know, I mean, how many, how many times can I do this? You know, but people like it. Um, people seem to like listening to it. And uh, I certainly enjoy talking about it. But it, it was I remember sitting there to my sitting there thinking to myself, I need a break. You know, I've, I've been doing this radio now, my God, for three and a half years. Let, let me at least take a break from it. I mean, I'm beating people to death with Royal Arch of Enoch and, you know, John D and, you know, and, uh, you know, the Jesuits and the Counter-Reformation and Wizard of Oz and the Matrix. You know, how many times can I break these movies? Down? So I thought, all right, let me take a break here, which was needed. I mean, it was really nice, you know, taking this little respite and getting Cinema Symbolism 2 out and being able to work on Pack with the Devil. But now that Cinema Symbolism 2 is just a couple, you know, really a couple of days away from coming out at this point, um, I'm returning at full force. And uh, like I said, you know, we can talk about anything you want to. Uh, we can talk about royal arts, cinema symbolism, cinema oh, symbolism. Oh, no, I have, I have a topic I want you to go into. Um, one of the favorite things that you have done, and you've only done it once before, at least on my show. So it's not going to be, you know, a repeat that everybody who listens to my show has heard over and over again. And I, I don't remember why you did it, but it was my favorite um, correlation that you've that you've done and that was and and with all due respect to religion and and everything you re, you 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 did the correlation between the life of christ and the life of elvis presley yeah that's really an interesting study isn't it um and yeah. I, yeah, yeah i'd love you to go into that because it was fabulous yeah absolutely absolutely i thought no no problem um this is something that I talk about in um, in the first Cinema Symbolism book, in Cinema Symbolism, A Guide to Esoteric Imagery in Popular Movies. I talk about it in that, and I talk about it, actually I bring it up again in Cinema Symbolism too. Um, it, it's really what I would call a case of Jungian synchronicity, where one person's life sort of parallels another person's life, although it doesn't seem, uh, you know, it's, it's inexplicable as how this is designed or how this came to happen. And, and it really all revolves around the sun. And of course, um, and that's the sun, S-U-N. Um, and of course, if, if you read, um, it's good that we talk about this too, because um, um, I, I don't mind I don't mind getting into this at this point in time. Um, if you read Royal Arch of Enoch, of course, there's a huge comparative um, religion study where I compare astrology and solar religions, you know, Mithras, Apollo to, to Jesus, um, to the Bible story, which is, you know, again, one of these solar allegories. It has nothing to do with Christ being a real person or not. Um, you know, you know, the argument that Manly P, you know, we talk about Manly P. Hall, one of the arguments he put forward was well, when they were constructing at the Council of Nicaea, when the pagans at the Council of Nicaea were constructing the Christian religion, all they were doing was relying on the old sun worship, you know, of Horus, Mithras, Apollo, you know, and just transforming it into Christianity. And, and that seems to be the case. Um, but with Elvis, it, it's, it's these parallels with the sun. Um, and because they're, they're paralleling the sun, it's paralleling Jesus as well. I mean, so for example, we have, um, you know, I mean, you have um, the birth of Jesus, which is, of course, three days after the winter solstice um, on December 25th. 
Um, the, the sun being dead for three days one rises one degree north on December 25th. Hence, uh, that's the birthday of the sun. This occurs under the house of Capricorn. Um, so Jesus is born under the house of Capricorn. So is Elvis Presley. He's born in, um, in, 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 in early January. So, so you have both, um, both Jesus and the birthday of the sun is occurring in the house of Capricorn. So you have that as well with Elvis. Um, the, the, the house that rules the, the, the sun rules over is in, of course, August, which is the house of Leo. And of course, Elvis dies in the house of Leo. So that's another solar allegory. Um, you will find throughout Elvis's career, um, you know, his jumpsuits feature, feature the Maya, Mayan solar calendar. Um, you will find at the end of his career that he came in, that he was introduced. If you've seen the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, he, he, the, the opening portion of that is called, you know, the, the theme music is Alzo Sprach Verasustra by Richard Strauss. Um, and the, the opening segment of that everybody knows it um it's it's the theme to 2001 that was elvis's um theme music when he came on stage at the end of his career um that is actually called sunrise of all things and um of course you know where did elvis produce his music uh sun you know the temple of the sun sun records in memphis tennessee um you know and this ties into memphis egypt where there was a temple of the sun as well you know and that's set on on the nile river you know, and, and Memphis, you know, in America, sits on the New World's Nile River, uh, the Mississippi. So you will find, I, I call it in the book, I call it Jungian synchronicity. That's really the only way I can describe it, is these sort of parallels that go on between between people that, that sort of occur in people's lives that there's no explanation for it. I, another one of these, um, and, and this is another one you just can't make sense of, you can wrap your head around it um, all day long. Elvis is one, um, and again, this is something I talked about in Cinema Symbolism. Something I talk about briefly in Cinema Symbolism too is Harry Houdini, uh, the famed magician. And of course, um, a lot of people, you know, it, you know, again, this is just one, just a head scratcher that you know Harry Houdini, the famed magician, um, was born 26 years before the turn of the last century, 26 years before the night, you know, the turn of 1900, and died 26 years after the turn of the last century. Um, he died in 1926. And of course, if you had 26 and 26, you get the number 52, which is a number of decan of cards. And of course, that's the tool of the master magician. And of course, he's the greatest magician of all time. So you have these things in people's lives, this Jungian synchronicity going on. Um, you, can't, you can't really explain it. You can only accept it. Um, but the life of Elvis being the solar allegory um, from start to finish. And again, you know, uh, getting back to that real quick, you have the whole idea of, you know, the sacred, you know, you have the death of Elvis. Then you have the, 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 the religious cult, you know, you know, with Memphis, you know, uh, Graceland being the pilgrimage to the holy site. Um, to the grave. And of course, you will find this in many religions, you know, the pilgrimage to, you know, whether it be the Kaaba in, in Islam or, you know, to the, the Holy Sepulchre in, 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 you know, in Jerusalem, you know, or, or you know, Calvary or, or you know, you know, the, 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 the holy sacred journey. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, Christ surviving his own death. Um, and then, of course, you have that the same thing with Elvis. Um, there are many rumors <laughs> circulating that Elvis survived his own death. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, you have these incredible parallels um, between the sort of Elvis quasi-religion, sun religion going on, and Christianity. It's it's really uncanny. Um, and again, I think I think we talked about this in in one of the last shows. I mean, in no way am I suggesting. 
that you know Elvis was Jesus or anything like that. It's just it's just an incredible these solar parallels going on that are really inexplicable. You you can't explain them. You can only accept them and just say, wow, you know, it's really incredible. Um, I chalk it up to um, you know, you know, it, it ties into this idea. Just real quick, um, I'm not really much. Of, I mean, I you know. You know what? You know, I get asked this all the time when I was doing these shows about these 9/11 images that come up in movies prior to the, the the September 11th attack, and the ones that go back 30, 30 or 40 years. I mean, I just write them off. It's coincidence, you know. I mean, that's you know, I, I just don't buy into any of that. But when you do get closer to the event, you do, um, you know, you do find some of these. You know, I mean, I've talked about it with the Matrix movies. Um, one of the other ones that's really weird is the Patriot movie with Mel Gibson. But again. Um, you know, I talk about this just in, I bring this up just in terms of synchronicity. It just seems to be something that happened, happens, whether it's part of the life experience or just embedded in our subconscious minds, or it's just meant to be that way. Um, you know, I don't know. I can't answer that. But I mean, the parallels with Elvis um, and the sun and, you know, of course, the Jesus story is, of course, another solar allegory. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll mention this. I'll end it up on this, uh, Barbara, and you can just jump in. Um, it's funny because what, one of the things I really like writing about is this comparative religion um, allegory, you know, or, or, or study. You know, I talk about it in um, in the context of the Royal Arch of Enoch with the solar astrological a allegories within Christianity and how they turn up in Freemasonry. Um, and again, you know, I talk about it in cinema symbolism with this whole thing with Elvis. I couldn't help myself. I just really, really couldn't help myself. And um, in cinema symbolism too, um, the first chapter of it is um, again, the solar astrological, astrological breakdown of religious movies. Um, uh, I break down the Passion of the Christ story and the Ten Commandments movies from a solar astrological standpoint. Um, and, you know, I'll tell, I'll tell it here. It's actually, I, I really couldn't help myself. I hope this is not in bad taste. The chapter is actually called Solar Superstars. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I break down the uh, Jesus movies, the religious movies, the Christmas movies, you know, and they all revolve around the sun also um and and you know the celebration of christmas and then i break down the 10 commandments movies i, I you know I, I i i was desperately trying to come up with a title for this chapter i was calling it you know religious movies or a study in religious movies all boring you know you know or astrological symbolism in movies or solar i thought oh this is just bland i mean you know and all of a sudden i was sitting there and it was like a bolt of lightning hit me and i thought of jesus christ superstar um the musical uh -huh. I thought, oh, yeah, of course, you know, and I thought, well, let's just go with that. Let's just ride that and call this first chapter Solar Superstars. And uh, that, that's how I open up. Uh, I hope it doesn't offend too many people. We'll find out. But uh, that, that's actually the first chapter of uh, Cinema Symbolism, too. It's called Solar Superstars, and it's a breakdown of the religious cinema. Of, uh, and, and I revisit a lot of this. Um, not revisit, I come up with, I, I, I break down a lot of the symbolism of like the Virgin Mary and the Shroud of Turin and all that good stuff that you find in, in religious movies. Do you, do you think, I mean, while we, while I am right with you on the fact that we are pre-programmed with these archetypes, that makes perfect sense to me. It's probably somewhere in our DNA. <laughs> But do you feel that, that, that we are, as a species, um, reliving cycles, um, you know, that... That, 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 that history we, repeats itself? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you could definitely, um, you know, you, you could definitely say that. Um, it is interesting, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of people in history, you know, whether they be, you know, you know, you know, um, I remember, um, 
you know, it was um, the guy who founded. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, yeah, it does seem it does seem to be that way. I, I wonder sometimes if you know if if we're put on journeys that we're meant to go on. I th- I feel sometimes I was meant to write these books. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like I was meant to do it. Um, and I and ten years ago I may not have thought that way. Now I do. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I feel like, you know, whatever it is, I, I was meant to do this um, for whatever does, reason. It does you sound know. like you're slightly driven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I was meant to do this. Um, I know, you know, that the, the, the guy I, I, and this was part of his writings, I believe the guy who actually founded the historical Illuminati. Um, I'm not talking about the conspir- a lot of the conspiracy stuff. I'm talking about like the, you know, Adam Weishaupt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he kind of talked about this. He thought that history moved in cycles. Um, and I guess he, he kind of was tying into Nostradamus that, you know, with these astrological ages and the, 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 you went through cycles and that certain things were possible at certain cycles, um, in history where other times they may not have been possible. Um, and, you know, I think he was talking like, you know, the French revolution, you know, in the American revolution, these were only possible at these conjunctions in time. Um, and, you know, if you had tried them five years earlier, or if you had tried them five years later, it wouldn't have worked. Um, and you find this, you know, like what you call modality, you find this in, in the simplest of things, um, whether it be a historical event or just minor things in life. Um, you know, the Royal Arch of Enoch would have failed if that book, had, if my book had come out in 1997, it, no, it would have failed. That book was only possible when it came out in 2012 with the Internet. And being able to do these radio shows, same thing with the movie book. That book would not have made sense to anybody if that book had come out in 1995. I mean, it, it just would not have made sense. It, it was it, it was it was doable at that time, um, you know, because it was it was be- that understanding was becoming more and more knowledgeable. If if cinema symbolism or royal arts had come out at any other time, I, I don't think they would have garnered the attention that they have garnered um, or or been you know as successful. Um, as they have been, um, you know, both books have been bestsellers on Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. on, on the Kindles at any rate, you know, which, you know, I'm very uh, proud of. But I don't think, you, yeah, go ahead. Are you familiar with the progression of the equinoxes? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, now, absolutely. I mean, while there are the progression of the equinoxes on the Earth plane, there's also the cosmic progression. And once every 27,000 years, the two are in sync. And we're at one of those times right now. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, I definitely think with, you know, with now with the age of Pisces coming in and to the age of Aquarius coming in, I mean, I think that was the perfect timing for these two books, especially Royal Arch. I, I don't think, I don't think Royal Arch of Enoch um, or Cinema Symbolism, right? Or, you know, I, I don't think, like I said, if these books had come out in the 1990s, I think they would have been ignored and probably have been fall, fallen by the wayside. I, I don't think the timing was at all right. I think the timing was perfect when they came out. And uh-huh. you know, likewise with the re-release, and it's funny too because I was watching. It's about a year ago. I was watching a TV show about this, um, about the same sort of thing we're talking about, and uh, it was about the movie Star Wars of all things. This was the very first one, you know, that came out in 1977. They came out Memorial Day weekend, and um, it, they had on commentators. I mean, and it, they were heavy hitters. It wasn't just some fan, you know, geek boy or something. I mean, it was people like Walter Cronkite. This was made a couple of years ago, maybe, you know, before they died. You know, uh, you know, Dan Rather. Um, I mean, very big, you know, higher ups in in, in media um, talking about Star Wars. And 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 the, the guy said it. He said he said Star Wars 
George Lucas's Star Wars, the very first one, he said, if, if that movie had came out in 1969, it would have flopped. He said it would have died. He said, you know, you were at the height of the Vietnam War. He said, he said 2001 had just come out. It would have been viewed as this sort of this kiddie movie. Um, the country was very cynical at the time. He said it would have died. He said, and likewise, if, if the movie had come out in the 1980s, it would have been probably, you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, campy. It probably would have looked, been looked at as silly. He said, but that movie came out at the perfect time in history. He said, he said, Watergate was ending. He said the Vietnam War was over with. He said, and and the country needed a pick me up. He said, and needed this space fantasy to go on. He said, and that's why that movie became the hit that it did because the timing of that movie was perfect. He said it came out in the summer of 77. He said, and, and people needed that escape. He said, if that movie had come out five or six or seven years earlier or five or six or seven years later, it probably would have died. He said, and, and because of that movie coming out exactly when it did, it captured the Im imagination of not only the United States, but of the world and went on to become this mega hit. And, and I do I do agree with that. I, and I, I think I think to an extent with with, you know, with my books, I, I don't think my books would have made any sense. In fact, I know that I know they wouldn't have. Um you know, you know, you know, I don't, I don't think those books would have been proper in the 1990s. I don't even think they would have been proper in the early to mid 2000s. I, I don't think the that the, 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 there was enough material out there on it. I, I think, it, you know, I, I think those books coming out was timed perfectly. I mean, I don't think I timed it perfectly. I think, you know, they're like you said, it's, uh, you know, what you want to call a cosmic force, the present procession of the equinoxes, <laughs> a, a changing over of one age to another. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't dispute you in any way, shape, or form on that. No, I totally agree with you. I think that the consciousness of all of humanity has expanded to a point where they they will embrace this kind of material and apply it to themselves. They'll they'll not say, "Oh, that's a bunch of crap." They'll say, "Look at that. Let's see if I can find." It. And and I I really feel that your books are going to do really really well because, you know, given this information, you then go to a movie and you say. I know where this is going, and and it's like The Exorcist. You know, the opening of the movie was that night before Halloween, and it was in Boston, and it was dark, and it was a dark, stormy night, and it sets it it tells you what's coming by just the setting. It does. You don't have to see any symbols, though they they're all there too, and and it's just it it's amazing. And and you know, the more I think about, it, the more I think if. if if we can recognize these, then if we if we were write a, if we were to be an author and write something that that we would um, subliminally put these symbols into places where they belong, because it's a message to people to interpret what you're what you're meaning to do. So it's it's like an it's a language that is not spoken but it is seen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the the movie stuff. Um, Ultimately, for me, at any rate, I mean, it's really I, I like doing it. It's um, it's a fun study, um, you know, watching a movie and then being able to, you know, break it down on a, on a level. And, you know, like I said, you know, when 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 I discovered that when we talked about in the first hour, that little reference to uh, the ballerina. I mean, that was I mean, I, you know, that's really incredible to me. You know, that, the, you know, like I said, the filmmakers will go to these lengths to put this stuff in. And it, and it really is for me like a challenge to, to you know, decode this stuff and. Um, 
like I said, uh, I'll just, you know, I know I see we're, you know, running out of time here. I'll just, you know, kind of wrap up on this. And, you know, it talks about cinema symbolism, too, was, um, you know, one of the things in the book that I really think stand, I think when you read it and when a person read it, reads it, is it really jumps off the pages is this um, comparative cinema um, study that, that, you know, I talk about alchemy being in the book, being a theme. One of, one of the other studies is sort of what I call comparative cinema, where, where you know, in, in cinema symbolism, we talk about these movies drawing upon ancient religions and things like that, and these ancient symbols and archetypes. One of the things these movies do is also draw upon other movies, um, you know, f- for this purpose. Um, and nothing nothing could be further. And I, I have to presume this was, was it, it on purpose. If it is not on purpose, it's one of the greatest cases of uh, the collective unconscious at work. Um, is, and then, like I said, when people read, read the book, um, is this entire study of Crimson Peak and The Shining, because the parallels in these two movies are, is so uncanny. Um, and when, once the book comes out, there, there's actually a unique story that accompanies this, that, that when I was watching Crimson Peak, I'll just get into it very briefly. When I was watching Crimson Peak, I was watching. I, I knew that this movie was symbolic. I'd seen some interviews with some of the actors, and, and it's a very, it's a very rich movie in symbolism. Um, um, but 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 going on beneath the subcon, there, there's there's really Crimson Peak has three levels of symbolism going on. It's almost like the Wizard of Oz. You have this symbolic level. Um, which is kind of on the surface. And then you have another symbolic level that, that really ties into the movie, The Shining. Um, and then you have another symbolic level, which is really complicated. It's hard for me to explain, but it, it, it has to do with whether um, this movie is sort of like a, a projection. Um, it is really sort of like, almost like a fantasy um, going on inside these people's minds. It, it's very hard to uh, explain. Um, but but it's it's really it's really one of the deep studies in, in cinema symbolism too. But 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 um, when when I, I just I'll just wrap up on this. When I was watching when I was watching Crimson Peak, I was watching it really from. Um, I probably won't have time to get into it. But but I'll just wrap up on this, Barbara. Um, you know you know when when you when you eventually get down to reading. Um, cinema symbolism too, which hopefully will be very soon. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm interested when you get to this. You know, if when you if you haven't seen the movie Crimson Peak, definitely check it out because um, you know there 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 there, there is. There, there, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is the Crimson Peak section is one of the portions of the book that I think is really one of the standout portions, um, and because there's just so much symbolism going on, and I just can't wait to get other people's reaction on this no it's on my list i've written it down it's 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 one i'm going to go watch so that i at least have been it through at one time so that when i get the book i i, I have a frame of reference because yeah, it's, um, it's a good movie it's a good movie anyway it's a ghost story it's not really that scary um but but it, but it's an entertaining movie i liked it um and yeah it, it's definitely one we're checking out it's very rich in symbolism though no i'm i'm looking forward to it i i have gone back and reread um the first cinema symbol symbolisms and you know, and i've i think i have watched all the movies in it you know right. sometimes after sometimes before but i i found it fascinating in in watching the movie it gives you a greater depth of perception as to what is being shared oh yeah i agree totally i mean if you just want to be entertained that's fine go ahead and do that but but to to go to a deeper level with a lot of these movies, I mean, I've even watched The Wizard of Oz a couple times. Um, I want to thank you. I didn't realize we were this close. Robert, thank you so much. We will get together again after two comes out. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for having me on. It was a great show. My pleasure. 
to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. This is Barbara DeLong, host of Nightlight Radio, inviting you to join me on a cosmic journey, exploring a metaphysical montage of spiritual material, covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between, including spiritual readings for those who seek enlightenment. Let Nightlight provide you with equal measure of light, love and laughter, insight, wisdom, and inspiration. Monday nights, 10 to 12 p.m. Eastern, right here on Studio B, Revolution Radio, at freedomslips.com. 